<laughs> I could just watch that 20 times in a row again. All right. Well, hey, open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And I told you um, we're done with Hebrews uh, till uh, August. Um, I didn't want to crack into chapter 9 and leave it hanging there. So um, we're done with Hebrews till August. Uh, when I come back, we'll do some assorted passages uh, for a month or so, and then we'll be back to uh, the books. So here we are in Matthew uh, chapter 10 and starting in verse 34. And this is God's word. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, peace. Uh, What is peace? Um, Everybody wants it. In fact, in some sense, it's all anybody wants. All anybody wants is peace because it's one of those things that encompasses all things. For instance, you have love in your life, right? You have loving relationships. Um, But those loving relationships are not always peaceful. In fact, sometimes a loving relationship is hard for the whole of a lifetime. Um, Also, um, speaking of peace, uh, there are plenty of successes that can be obtained in life that uh, give you some relief and give you some comforts. And, and yet a lot of those successes are obtained by lots of people who can never find peace. Uh, Robin Williams would be one of them. Um, a lot of people would define peace as the absence of any conflict. And I can understand why we would do that because uh, we do that with war at war all the time, don't we? If we're at war with somebody, we're at conflict. If we're not at war with somebody, we're at peace. I mean, it's one thing. It's either conflict or not conflict, war or peace. So not conflict, we think, equals peace. But uh, that's not necessarily true either, Um, um, that it's just the absence of conflict. And still other people would define peace as uh, being left alone. You know, I just want some peace and quiet out of you kids. Uh, I want some peace. And so we think, well, peace is being left alone. Peace is solitude. Peace is quiet. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, think about it. Think about all the things that happen in private, in silence, in peace that are not so peaceful. Um, Anyone who's ever struggled with an eating disorder, uh, either eating too much food or too little food, um, those things are done in private um, when you're alone. That doesn't necessarily equal peace. And anyone who's let down someone in a profound way, uh, those things kind of linger and they lay on the heart when your head is on the pillow and that's not necessarily peace just to be alone. And anyone who's ever had a question mark in his or her head about the purpose of living or what constitutes humanity or what defines sexuality or why we exist on this earth at all and what, what purpose is there in life and um, what, what about life after this one, if there is one. Anyone who's ever longed for answers to those things does so in the private um, 
uh, turnings of his or her own heart. And so just being alone doesn't equal peace. Just being uh, given solitude doesn't mean peace. And so the Bible offers an answer for such a yearning heart. In fact, the Bible gives the answer, the big answer. And um, so that's why we're here in this passage today. Now, uh, the topic, of course, uh, is peace, but um, it's very important to notice that there's a context here. Jesus is talking to his disciples about missions, all right? I should say about mission, his mission, his continued work uh, on this earth uh, in the power of the spirit who will come, all right? So he's talking to his disciples uh, about his mission uh, to a hurting world that, that, that needs him, that needs answers. And uh, if you look at just chapter two, you know, the publisher of your Bible will put in uh, these little headings that uh, that's not inspired scripture. It's just a publisher saying, hey, that's what this chapter is about. This chapter is about this. This is about this. This paragraph's about this. Just look at it. I mean, the beginning of chapter 10, uh, well, look right before then. Um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That's the, at the end of chapter nine. So that's kind of what Jesus is talking about. Harvest is plentiful, labors are few. Um, look at um, verse five of chapter 10, about the heading there says, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. Next one, persecution will come. Next one, have no fear. Next one, the one we're in today, not peace, but a sword. And then the last one is pretty much saying, hey, I see what's happening uh, and I will bless you. So to our passage today, Notice that it's a part of that whole idea of missions, a part of Jesus sending out his disciples, right? But it is also the pinpoint of what he's trying to say. It is the, the, the needle stick, and I've extrapolated it this way uh, into our main idea, which is this. Um, if you're not born twice, you die twice. And uh, I think that's a good summary of what Jesus is trying to say here. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in more detail in just a minute. But for right now, let's go to our first point, which is war and peace. Look at verse 34. Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now pause on that for a second. Because that's not the kind of thing most people think about when they think about Jesus, is it? I mean, in fact, for some of you, it's kind of a shocking statement. You read it in the Gospels and you go, oh yeah, I think that, I remember that was in there, but wow, that's the Savior saying that about himself. That that's, makes it pretty potent. I have not come to bring peace. In fact, it's even more potent because he, uh, he puts a little oomph on it. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace. He just doesn't say, hey, I've not come to bring peace. And people go, oh, Jesus misspoke. He didn't misspeak. Do not think I've come to bring peace. Now, friends, how can that be reconciled with a lot of the other things said about peace in the Bible and about Jesus? How can that be reconciled? Um, What I can tell you is you don't have to go, oh, no, oh, no. There's an indiscrepancy in the Bible. I don't know what we're going to do because uh, Bill Maher might get a hold of this and, uh, and Ricky Gervais may talk about it and uh, uh, that, that, that magician guy. And uh, what are we going to do? Oh, no. The whole, don't worry about it. Um, let me re- read you some peace verses in the Bible. Um, Psalm 7, verse 7. May the righteous flourish and peace abound. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? By the way, righteousness is the basis of that peace. Pretty interesting. That's in Psalm 7. And how about something from um, the dad of John the Baptist? You know, Zechariah's song, um, he, uh, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, and he speaks this song, this poem, this prophetic uh, utterance. And uh, one of the things he says is, um, 
Yeah, where is it? He goes, and you, child, he's talking about John the Baptist, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, wow, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I mean, that's what John the Baptist is there to herald the one who will bring the peace, Jesus. And how about when the angels show up to the shepherds out in this field and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. On earth, peace. Now, how is that reconciled with, I've not come to bring peace on earth. Don't think I have. And how about this? Uh, Maybe the most troubling one for you. Isaiah 9, verse 6. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. So how do we reconcile that? Well, um, it has been uh, referred to uh, and explained by some as a a paradox used by Jesus. Um, A fancy word for it would be a mashal, um, which is not so much a literary tool, but a way of uh, explaining something, kind of like a kind of like a, a, a lesson, a parable or something like that. So like we might say, if you got three greedy kids, uh, every time dad comes home, they're like, gimme, 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 they want some money. Um, and you say, hey, I'm not gonna give you greedy kids any money anymore. All right, so that, a dad might say that. And of course he's thinking, yeah, sure, I, yes I will. But he's saying, I ain't giving you any money anymore. So kind of a teaching thing, kind of a parable thing. And that's how people will explain this away. And they'll say, that's all that Jesus meant. But I'll tell you what, I'm not so sure that that's right. Um, I've read that in a number of commentator, commentaries and I'm like, yeah, you know, I think that's a, kind of a lazy stretch, actually. I think Jesus is quite exactly saying, well, I think when he says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, you know what I think he's saying? I think he's saying, I have come to bring peace to the earth, but peace is gonna look a certain way and peace is gonna be a certain thing. It's gonna be a certain kind of peace and I'm not trying to confuse you. The question is and has to be peace, uh, it's who with whom? Who's gonna have peace? What, who are the parties? And I I would say to you, if you would just think of it this way, vertical peace. I mean, is that not what Jesus came to establish is vertical peace first, that we would be at peace with our maker, that our God would be reconciled to us, that we would be reconciled to him, vertical peace. Jesus did come to be the prince of peace to establish vertical peace. Um, And of course, the, the, the... the gospel is a very beautiful story in that um, sinners can't have vertical peace with God. A sinner can't. A sinner has to be separated. A sinner has to be judged. God can't just compromise uh, your sins and sweep them under the rug and forget about them and go, oh, well, you know, he's a pretty nice guy. Uh, that would compromise justice. You like justice? God loves it. He is justice. And so um, he sends the righteousness of God to this earth who lives a perfect life, lays it down, and is able to say, you know what? I'm the only one who's ever been innocent, the only innocent human being. I'll lay down my life for the sinner. And that's, that's the gospel. That's how vertical peace is established. Now, if somebody puts their relationship with God through Jesus Christ, this vertical peace, they're, they're, they're saved by grace, and they, they, they 
put themselves in God's hands and, they, and he has the highest allegiance in their lives and someone else doesn't do that, what do you think, what do you think that brings about? Do you think that's fertile soil for peace or do you think that's fertile soil for division? That is where the sword edge falls, friends. That's where the sword edge falls. When a person says, you know what? Um, my relationship with God is the most important thing about my human existence. It's more important than my father. It's import- more important than my daughter. It's more important than my mother, my daughter-in-law, mother-in-law, members of my household, uh, my children. Hard, isn't it? My relationship with God is more important than my children. You know what? I'm straying from my notes a little bit, but you've heard me say this before that I'll tell my wife, I'll say, baby, you're the second best thing ever to happen to me. And you know, if you say that in a room full of Christians, they all go, oh. you say that in a room full of, with, with, don't have, that aren't Christians, they're like, what kind of a jerk is that? The second best thing, what, what? Did he win some money at the track or what's going on? You know, the second best thing. But you know, what Tammy wants, the kind of love that she wants is not my crappy human love. She wants a man who goes, Lord, how do you want me to love this one who is precious to you? Well, that's the kind of love you want. She's the second best thing to ever happen to me, and I'm the, uh, probably the second best thing that ever happened to her. I don't want to, you don't have to reciprocate now pu- uh, pu- publicly, but, um, but that's what I'm saying. You know, he's, he's got this list in, um, oh, verse 34 and 35, you know, he says, I'm, I've come to set a man against his father. Well, gosh, that's a tight relationship. Uh, a daughter against her mother. Oh, my goodness, uh, that's a tight relationship. How about a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law? Yikes. Um, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household, father and mother, children and all that. And Jesus is saying, highest allegiance is to me. Now, I'll tell you what, um, what kind of person would Jesus be if he weren't who he said he was? He's saying, I want your highest allegiance to be me, but more so than your relationship with you and your kids or your wife or anybody else. What kind of person would he be if he weren't really God, if he weren't really who he said he was? All right, so um, application for your life. I don't know what um, preachers have told you in the past. I don't know what uh, you know, social studies has taught you. I don't know about uh, your preconceptions about God and Jesus and all that stuff. But um, I'll tell you this. An essential part of coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ is giving yourself away. Giving your whole self away. And see, that's why... Um, I'm concerned about the world. I'm concerned about, you know, Ireland just made some legal moves this week. And uh, did you see the stop, the trap, the crosswalk lights in uh, Vienna? Who saw that? Oh, well, it's a, a man. Instead of uh, five, four, three, two, one, or don't walk, uh, it's two dudes holding hands and, with a heart. And uh, other crosswalk signs are two ladies holding hands with a heart. I mean, that's... That's the government getting involved in moral ethical situations. And it's in, their, it's in the crosswalks. I mean, I'm concerned about what's happening in the world. I'm concerned about what ministry is going to look like, um, probably in my lifetime, but certainly beyond it. Um, it's going to be hard. But one thing that will never change is when you come to the God of this book, savingly, you say, God, you can have all of me, every part of me. 
Um, nothing is mine. It's not, oh, my body. Oh, my body. I don't know what the deal is, by the way. Oh, my body. I'm so, oh, my body, my body, my body. All these things about my body. No, it's not your body. It's not your body. It's not your money. It's not your time. It's not your anything. Nothing's yours. It's all God's. And when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you say, here you go, God. I submit to you. It's 100% yours. And that is the exercise of an authentic faith. That's what the Prince of Peace separates with a sword. Those who love him in that way and those who don't love him in that way. You can see that there's got to be some kind of divide. If one group holds him in highest allegiance and the other doesn't, then you may have discord. Not always, but you may have some discord. All right, next point. Uh, Division and supremacy. Look at verse 38. Um, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, that's a common statement, uh, take up your cross, right? You've heard that uh, many, many times. But, you know, it's right from the Bible, by the way. And uh, there are many, I, I think there's 34 or 37 or some high number of things that you hear on a regular basis that are from the scriptures. Things like salt of the earth, uh, that's from Matthew and um, pearls before swine. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Everybody, that's, that's common vernacular. Um, apple of my eye, Song of Solomon, I think, right? Um, by the skin of my teeth, Job. How about uh, drop in the bucket? That's from Isaiah. And of course, like, like many of those, like salt of the earth, I mean, completely twisted meaning. People go, that guy's really salt of the earth. Oh, he's a salt of the earth. You don't even know what you're saying. I mean, Jesus is talking about salt and light. He's talking about the Christians being a preservative of the culture, being immersed in the culture, being a, a mouthpiece of his in the culture. Not that God's a good old guy. He's salt of the earth. That's a complete mess up of the meaning of that. Well, people do the same thing with take up your cross and follow me. They say, well, we all got a cross to bear. Well, I got my cross to bear. I got, well, this all got a cross to bear. And basically people go, are thinking, well, I got a really hard thing to do. You know, Jesus had a really hard thing to do, and now I have a really hard thing to do. I got to take up my cross. We all have a cross to bear. I'm here to tell you that I don't think that's what that teaches. Uh, I don't think it, it teaches, um, stay optimistic, because we all have hard things to face. I don't think that's what that teaches. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Um, I think, ladies and gentlemen... Um, that uh, that meaning can be nestled into what Jesus is saying. Yes, the Christian life isn't always going to be easy. I mean, persecution will come. That's, uh, that's, that's written in chapter uh, 10 also. Um, Christian life is not void of hardship. There's no promise of free BMWs and, uh, and a pain-free body by you know, blinky uh, evangelists. Uh, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, But again, look at the context. I mean, peace with God brings others who have peace with God uh, together. Well, so what is the reader to think when uh, Jesus says, uh, you got to take up your cross? And if you don't take up your cross uh, and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Well, what is the first reader supposed to hear? Well, you know, one thing to consider is the disciples, they don't know Jesus is going to be crucified yet. It's not even on their horizon. I mean, uh, it's not until chapter 11 when, when Peter says, oh, yeah, here's who I think you are, Jesus, and it's revealed to him. I mean, they don't know that Jesus is going to be crucified, so they don't have the, the reader's perspective like we do. We read back on it, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, crucifixion, what happened to Jesus, wow. But what these guys do know is that Roman execution was very much a part of that culture. They knew what it looked like. Um, 
They knew what it was. Kids knew what it was. They knew what it was when somebody was forced to take the cross upon which they would be killed and drag it humiliatingly to their place of death. They knew what that looked like, picking up a cross and dragging it. So isn't it interesting that Jesus would say, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, uh, you're not worthy of me. And they go, oof, gosh, what are they thinking of? They're thinking of crucifixion. I mean, they've got a very vivid picture in their head. You know, I'll tell you, um, when I grew up in the Chicago area, it was uh, like an era of video games. And uh, you know how these, these storefronts, these, uh, these, these uh, strip malls would have a video place in it, or somebody would take an old house somewhere, and every room in the whole house would have six or eight games, and there would be speakers going. Anybody remember that at all? I mean, no? Uh, really? Nobody remembers that? Uh, old people, yay, sorry. Huh? Wow. Well, man, it was, it was so cool, man. I mean, you were just, it was so loud. It was so rock and roll. It was so crazy. Um, but anyway, one of those places, not far from my house, a guy, a, a guy got shot there. And, um, and that was like, oh, man, one of our favorite video places, a guy got shot, and they closed it, you know, and it was in the news, and we were like, wow, somebody got shot there. And, um, and when they reopened it, we all went there because, you know, the other thing we heard was they couldn't get the blood up all the way. And guess what? They couldn't. And so you walk in, and you're like, wow, that's where the, look at that, man. It was, there was blood on the floor, and, you know, we're like, and then we got over it, and we're like, ding, 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 you know, it didn't matter. But, uh, but we saw this horrific gruesome scene, this, this thing that happened. Well, that's what the disciples are going. They're going, what? What? Okay. Mother, father, son, child, this, this exclusive relationship. Wow. You, you want this premium on our relationship with you, Jesus. And, um, now you're saying that we have to take up a cross. I mean, it's this vivid, unbelievable illustration. And I think Jesus is not going, well, there are going to be some hard things. So you're going to have to take up a cross and that's pretty tough. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think it's exactly in keeping with the point where he says, every part of you must die. Um, Every part of you um, is spent. Um, Following Jesus costs all of you. You know, when somebody's crucified, they're stripped of their humanity. They're stripped of their rights. They're, 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 uh, They're a dead man walking. And Jesus is saying, you're stripped of all things. You are to take up your cross and follow me. That means you suspend all rights and privileges. Your highest allegiance is to me. Now that is an amazing thing for someone to say. If you're not the son of God, who's the savior of the world. All right, application for you. God's children, they um, recognize each other and they love each other. You ever been on a mission trip and you're, on a di- in a different part of the world and there's a language barrier and you're kind of muscling through, you can still spot a believer, can't you? You, you? you think and say the same things. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit has regenerated them and we think about and know one another. And uh, those who aren't worshipers of this God are automatically put in a potential place of opposition with those who have highest allegiance to Christ. Um, one Bible scholar I was reading said this. He said, To belong to Christ is a privilege so inestimable that no other relationship can replace it. It is a duty so imperative that no other obligation is more binding. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's why the Savior comes with a sword. Now our last point, we're almost done. Expenditure and freedom. If you look at verse 39, he says, 
right in keeping with his point. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, can you see that that's Jesus' final punctuation point? It's not like he's skipping around from topic to topic. He's got a topic. That's the punctuation point of the topic. That's precisely what we've been talking about. If you're not born twice, you die twice. Now, obviously, you've been born physically because you're sitting here thinking and listening and your heart's beating. And obviously, you will die physically. That's a reality we all understand. You're going to be born, you're going to die. But if you're not born spiritually... If you haven't been given eyes to see and ears to hear, if you're not in fellowship with the one true God, then you die again. Uh, You die a second death. You have a spiritual death, a spiritual separation from the grace of God. And that's a very frightening thing. That's why Jesus would say you need to be born again. And that we can be born again is one of the sweetest um, blessings of the gospel. It's one of the greatest comforts that we can have in this life. It's a profound reality. When you give yourself away to Jesus Christ, friends, the the great thing is you get yourself back. And I should rephrase it. When you give your whole self away, you get your whole self back. A restored self, a redeemed self, and ultimately a sinless, glorified self. Um, Last thing and we'll we'll quit. Um, A commentator said... um, He's kind of paraphrasing Jesus' words. He's saying what Jesus is saying um, in this uh, passage is basically this. So a paraphrase of Jesus' words. He says, um, the person who, when the issue is between me and what he considers his own interests, chooses the latter. In other words, if you choose your own interests, if you, if you say, okay, YOLO, that's going to be my life, and uh, I'm going to choose my interests, that's my choice. I'm going to live this life, and uh, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm a, just a meat bag, as people would say. Um, and uh, if, you, if you choose that, thinking that by doing so, you're going to find yourself that is, have a secure and firmer hold on the full life, you will be bitterly disappointed. Happiness will shrink rather than increase, and in the end, you will perish everlastingly. That's pretty potent. Here's some good news. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, gavel hits the table, you're innocent because of the blood of another. Since we've been justified, By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. That's what's afforded in the gospel. But uh, God has saved a united people for himself, a people who uh, are at peace with God and each other, but that means uh, there's often uh, a divide uh, that shows up in this world. Our highest allegiance must be the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is... um, not a um, heart-wrenching thing. It's a comforting thing to be able to say that our highest allegiance is to the Lord Christ, that everything else falls in underneath him because then we love with the kind of love he wants us to love with and then we live with the kind of uh, empowerment that's provided for us. And we just thank you, Lord, for uh, our king uh, to whom we can submit knowing that it is the perfect, sublime, sinless, beautiful monarchy, dictatorship, um, the, the perfect government by our King Jesus who has never sinned and rules in wisdom and love and uh, justice and peace. So we pray these things in the name of the Prince of Peace who came not to bring peace, 
uh, but to divide uh, because he's brought peace. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.